I think we might have had a few technical difficulties. That's okay. <laughs> won't be the first time, won't be the last time, okay? And like we always say, you have to extend as much grace to other people as God extends to you, right? Good way to do it. Well, let me ask you this question. What does it take to please God? You know, you all heard before, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. How do you please God? You know, there are some people who say you please God through ritual. They say you say a certain number of prayers. You know, you've got to always say the Lord's Prayer or whatever. You use certain liturgies. You should chant them or maybe you should dress in a certain fashion. But guess what? That's not what the Bible says. There are some people who also think that you please God by following a certain number of rules and regulations. For example, you, you do all of the do's and you don't do all of the don't do's and somehow God is going to think that you're a pretty good person. But again, that's not what the Bible says. So how do you please God? Some people think you do it through religion, that you observe a certain number of holy days or you serve on enough church committees or... You know, you sing in the choir or you go to communion and then God says, oh, wow, you're on my A-list. But that's not in the Bible either. So what is it that pleases God? How do we do that? Well, the Bible says that God is not interested in rituals. He's not interested in rules. He's not interested in regulations. God is not even interested in religion. In fact, I don't even care much for religion. What I care for is what God cares about, and that is a relationship. He desires to have a relationship with you through His Son, Jesus Christ. What He wants more than anything else is for you to know Him and love Him and trust Him. And the way He does that is by you coming and getting to know and love Him even more. The Bible says, though, that it's impossible to please Him unless you have one thing. That's in our text this morning. You see it on your outline in your worship folder. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, because anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now, if you go a little bit further into your Bibles, you go to the book of Jude, and there's really only one chapter, but it's Jude 20, verse 20. It says, Build your lives on the foundation of holy faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm interested in pleasing God. And I'm kind of going to assume this morning that because you're here, you're also interested in pleasing God. So when God says it's impossible to please me unless you have faith, it strikes me that this ought to be a fairly important topic. So what is faith? Well, if you want a good look at faith, you just got to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be turning this morning. It is what I've already said a couple of times. It is God's Hall of Fame, or better yet, it's God's Hall of Faith. And in here, he gives us at least six different aspects of faith, how we can build a great life of faith. Now, the very first thing I want you to know is this, that faith believes even when you don't see it. You know that faith believes even when you don't see it. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we, what? Do not see. Now, we often say, I'll believe it when I see it. Even Thomas says, unless I see the prints in his hands and his feet, unless I 
touch the open wound in his side. I'm not going to believe it. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. In fact, you got it completely backwards. There are some things in this world that you have to believe in order to see it. Now, that's whether you are an architect designing a brand new building. They see it before it's ever done. Or an artist creating a sculpture. Or let's say an Olympic athlete who's trying to break a world record. Or a scientist who's trying to send a man or a woman to the moon. They have to believe it before they can see it. Now, all of those things, according to Hebrews 11, require faith. You believe it's possible long before it becomes possible. That's what the Bible says. Faith is believing even when I don't see it. Some of you may remember the name Warner Von Braun. He was the father of modern rocketry. Uh, he was the one responsible for building the Atlas and the, uh, I think the Saturn rockets that ultimately sent uh, people to the moon. Von Braun said, quote, There has never been any significant achievement in human history that was not accompanied by faith. But sometimes God says to us, you're going to have to believe it, even though you don't see it yet. It's coming. Here's the second thing you need to know, and that is that faith is obeying even when I don't understand it. I mean, faith is believing even when I don't see it, but it, it, faith is also obeying when I don't understand it. I'm going to give you a couple of exhibits from the Bible. Exhibit A is, is Noah. I mean, just think about Noah. I mean, all the kind of doubts Noah probably went through. Uh, you know, can you imagine if God came to you tomorrow morning and said, hey, uh, I got this great idea. I'm going to wipe out the whole world and start it all over with you. You'd probably go, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You'd have a few doubts. But look in your text, Hebrews 11, verse 7. What does it say here? It, it says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. He obeyed God who warned him about something that had never happened before. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that before the flood, it never, ever rained. The way God watered the earth was a mist kind of rose up. It's kind of like the early morning dew. So when God comes and says, Noah, I want you to build a boat because I'm going to send a flood. Noah probably said, what's a flood? And God says, well, it's when, you, when, when it rains a lot. And Noah said, what's rain? And God said, well, it would be like if I took a big lake way up in the sky and dumped it out on you. That's what it would be like. Now, would you believe that if you've never seen it? I mean, Noah did because he had faith. He obeyed even though it did not make sense. I mean, God said, I want you to build a gigantic boat out in the middle of the desert. And guess what? Don't worry, I'll bring all the water to you. That's exhibit A. Let me give you exhibit B from the text. His name is Abraham. Look at verse 8. Uh, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later, later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, notice this, even though he did not know where he was going. Well, in the month of, uh, I don't know, November, when the president of the Texas district called me and said, I believe I have a church that could use a pastor like you, and I said, where is it? I wonder what I would have done and if he would have said, I can't tell you. I think I would have said, click. <laughs> that would have been the end of the conversation. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Abraham had some doubts. He had some questions. 
you know, where are we going? And God says, you don't need to know. How long is it going to take? Well, a long time. How long? Uh, don't worry about it. How will I know this is the right place? Don't worry about it. I'll show you. I'll tell you. You'll know. I don't know. Would you do that? Abraham did. He obeyed, even when he didn't understand. I don't know about you, but I've, I've discovered in my own life that faith always involves risks. I mean, some people always want an absolute guarantee of success before they obey God. They open up their Bible, they read the commands of God, and they go, Okay, God, I'll do this, but could you give me a little guarantee? Yeah, can you give me a little bit of proof so that I'll do this? And God says, No, I'm not doing that. That doesn't require any faith. I want you to believe even when you don't see it. I want you to obey even when you don't understand it. Now, I didn't count these, but somebody did. It said that in the New Testament, part of our Bible, from Matthew to Revelation, that there are 1,050 commands of God. 1,050 commands of God. He says, do this and your life will be blessed. Now, every time God asks you to do something, guess what? It's a test. The test is this. Am I going to do what God tells me to do, or am I going to decide to do what I want to do. The test is, am I going to believe that God knows best, or am I going to say, hey, Barry's not that dumb. Barry knows best. Now, i got to tell you that 1,050 commandments, some of them, when you read them, seem pretty unreasonable. Some of them seem pretty unusual. Some of them are pretty inconvenient. Some of them flat out impossible. Somebody smacks you on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? Hey, hit them back, right? No, the Bible says, turn the other cheek. Yeah, sure. That's what the world says. That sounds pretty unreasonable. God says, no, you can be a blessing that way. Somebody takes your coat, give them all all your clothes. Somebody asks for a ride for a block, take them a couple of miles. It just doesn't make sense. You know, but they're given for our benefit because God ultimately knows what's best for us. Now, here's the point. If you learn to do whatever God tells you to do, even though sometimes it sounds a little bit crazy, then God can bless your life. When I moved to my former church, they asked me to take a 35% salary cut. Now, i got to tell you, that sounds pretty loony, doesn't it? Particularly when you move to an area where it's more expensive to live. And we talked about that a little bit at home. But, you know, when God is asking and God is talking, it's like the young children who came up to me at my previous church. And they'd say, Pastor, why are you moving? And I would say, because when God asks you to do something, you do it. Even when you can't see it, even when sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's part of what faith is all about. But see, on the other hand, if you ignore what God says to do, if you say, oh, I don't believe that stuff, or I I don't believe in signs, or I'm going to do what I think is best, what happens is you miss out on the blessing. And there are lots of blessings. I mean, had I said, what, take a salary cut? I would have missed out on the blessings of serving a wonderful church for 13 years. If I would have said, Texarkana, Texas, are you nuts? I would have missed out on the blessing of being with you, you folks. See, faith believes even when you don't see it. Faith believes even 
when you don't understand it. Here's the third thing. Faith gives even when you don't got it. Isn't that pretty weird? Faith is giving when you don't have it. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your life, how God uses finances to test your life. Have you ever had that Sunday morning struggle between writing a check for your tithe or paying a bill? You ever had that discussion at home? I can remember the day in our family was, how much money is in the checking account? Oh, $43.18. Who needs money this week? Oh, I need this for school. I need, who needs gas? And then you kind of, you use that as a determining factor. And you learn finally to trust God. I mean, God is saying, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust me and my promises? Or are you going to trust yourself, your checkbook, your bank account? Did you notice the first guy listed here in chapter 11? You see who it is? His name is Abel. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. See, the only thing Abel does is give an offering and he makes the Hall of Fame. It was faith that made Abel's offering a better sacrifice than Cain's. Through his faith, God approved of his giving. There's like three key words there. Faith and offering and giving. The Bible says it wasn't what he gave or how much he gave that pleased God. What was it? It was how he gave it. It was not the amount. It was the attitude with which he gave it. Now, when we take the offering, or did I skip it already? I, don't, I may have. But if we take the offering after a while, I love to have, we have a camera up there this morning. God loves cheerful givers. And what we need is a big screen up here, and we're going to put your face up there to see whether you are cheerful about it. Now, the Greek word for cheerful, the Greek, I'm, you think I'm kidding you. <laughs> the Greek word for cheerful is hilaros. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get the word hilarious. God loves rolling in the aisle, happy, hilarious giver. It's an attitude, friends. That's all it is. Now, it wasn't the amount. It was the attitude. Let me, let me just teach you, you know, tell you something. That he gives us two wonderful things to know about giving. I mean, you can give by reason. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And maybe some of you actually do that. When you give by reason, you're always looking at your check account. You're always looking at your bank account and figuring out what you can afford to put in the plate this morning. i got to tell you something, friends. That requires absolutely no faith whatsoever to do that. An atheist can give to church that way. You don't have to believe in God to do that. Or you can give by what I would call revelation. And revelation is where you sit down and you pray about it and you say, God... What is it you would want me to give? How much do you want me to trust you? That's giving by faith. That's the kind of giving, quite honestly, that God blesses. You want proof? Try 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. In there it says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. It said, then God will generously bless you with all you need. So there will always, you'll have everything you need. Now understand, that's the word, you need. And you'll have plenty left over to share with other people. Now, one thing I know is that you can never outgive God. But you know something? It's really fun trying. It really is fun trying. See, faith gives even when you don't have it. But you know, it's even more than that. Here's the fourth thing to know. Faith is persisting 
when I don't feel like it. Faith is persisting when I don't feel like it. This is the opposite of our, our culture today. What does our culture today say? It says everything ought to be based on your feelings. If it, if it feels good, what? Do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Well, I, I got news for you, friends. If you live by your emotions, you will always be manipulated by your moods. A godly Christian person, a mature person, always lives by their commitments. Their commitment to God, to their family. A member of church emailed me during the last uh, building program we had at my former church. This is what their email said. Dear Barry, you said that during the Building God's Ministries campaign, we could expect to be hassled by Satan. What do we do when that happens? I wrote back, keep on keeping on. (laughs) Keep on persisting. Keep on doing the right thing, even if it doesn't feel right. Now, this may shock some of you as your pastor, but there are days I don't feel like reading my Bible. There are days when I don't feel like praying. Now, what I've discovered is that on those days I don't feel like it, those are probably the days I need to do it most. In fact, I'll tell you that if I only read my Bible and pray when I feel like it, the devil will make sure I never feel like it. And he'll do it to you too. So I keep on keeping on no matter how I feel. That's the secret of success. I mean, someone has said that successful people are simply people who do what ordinary people don't feel like doing. See, faith is being persistent. Faith refuses to give up. Faith does the right thing whether you're tired or whether you're cranky. Now, the question is, how do you get that kind of faith? How do you get that kind of persistence? Well, it's right here in the Bible. Go down to verse 27 of this chapter. Verse 27. By faith, he, he's talking about Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. That would be Pharaoh. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, you probably know that story, too. you got Moses who comes and takes a slave nation out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for over 400 years. Hauls them out to the Sinai Peninsula, the wilderness. They wander around in circles for 40 years while God is trying to get them ready to go into the promised land. I, I, got, I got news for you. A 40-year wait in the desert is a long wait. Now, how do you get to be that persistent? Well, the Bible says he held to his purpose like a man who could see the invisible. Now, you say, well, how can you see the invisible? Let me put it another way. He did it because he kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on God. He kept his eyes on the prize. He kept his eyes on the cross. I mean, you say it any way you want to say it. He was keeping his eyes focused forward. That's what Moses did. That's what keeps you persistent. Now, some of you today, I don't know really what's going on in your life. Some of you today may be ready to give up. Some of you may be ready to give up on your marriage. Or some other relationship. Some of you, you know, maybe are ready to give up on school. It's just too hard for you. Or some of you maybe are ready to give up on your career or some dream you have. Or some of you are ready to give up on your kids. Or some of you feel like your health situation is just, you know, way too bad. Some of you think your finances are absolutely hopeless. Guess what? 
God brought you here today then to, to let you hear one thing. And that is to hang in there. Don't give up. Believe me, even when you don't see it. Keep on obeying even when you don't understand. Keep on giving even when you don't have it. And keep on persisting even when you don't feel like it. Here's the fifth thing out of the text. Faith is thanking God before I receive it. Now, that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? To thank God before you ever get what you prayed for? A good example of this is Joshua, uh, verse 30 of the text. In verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Now, if you know anything about Jericho, it was, a, it was the most fortified city in the world. The walls were so thick that there was two-lane traffic going around the top of it. Chariots could go by each other. People said nobody would ever get in it, so what does God do? He asked the people to walk around it for seven days. The first, day, first six days, they walk around in dead silence. That ought to be pretty creepy. Can you imagine having a wall around this community and a million or so people walk around in dead silence? That, that'd creep you out big time. And on the seventh day, they began praising God and singing and shouting, and the walls came a-tumbling down. See, faith is not believing that God can do something. God can do it whether you believe it or not, folks. Faith is not believing God will do something. That's hope. That's not faith. Faith is believing that God is doing something right now. That God is doing something all the time. And so we need to learn to thank God in advance. In Mark chapter 11... I can't remember the verse, but it says that when you pray and ask for something, believe that you have received it. That's past tense. I know enough about English. You know, that's past tense. And you will be given what you ask for. That's present tense. You want to thank God even before you get it. Now, if you wait until after a prayer has been answered to thank God for that, is that faith? I'd say, no, that's not faith. That's merely gratitude. Faith is thanking God in advance, believing that what you're praying for is an absolute done deal. I mean, you're just waiting to see it. If, you, if that kind of faith, guess what? If God sends you out uh, after Moby Dick in a rowboat, guess what? You take along a jar of tartar sauce. That's that kind of faith. Here's number six. Faith trusts, even if I don't get it. Now, by that, I don't mean I don't get it, I understand. I'm talking faith, trust, even if I don't get what I ask for. Maybe that's another way of asking, saying it. Now, some people try to make God into like a, a, a celestial vending machine. But God's not a vending machine. I mean, because a vending machine will give you stuff you really don't need, like a Snickers bar. Uh, a vending machine will give stuff that kills you, like cigarettes. I mean, God's not going to do that kind of nonsense to you. I mean, those of you that have kids, those of you that raise kids, you've got grandkids or whatever, I mean, does a good parent or a good grandparent give their kid everything they ask for? No. I mean, not if you're sensible. Not if you love your kids. I mean, so God's not going to give you everything you ask for. He says, I will meet all of your needs, N-E-E-D, apostrophe S, but not all of your greeds. Big difference. God is not some sort of a vending machine in the sky where you 
stick in a prayer and pull out whatever you want. Now, I got to tell you, there are some, oh, this gets me cranked up. You don't want to get me too cranked up, but there are some, oh, I can't even think of a good word, a kind word. There are some people out there today who teach that if you have enough faith, you will never have any problems. That if you have enough faith, you will never get sick. If you have enough faith, everything will be right. There are some people who say if you have enough faith, you will, you'll just attract money to you. Well, there's a Greek word for that, folks. It's called baloney. I mean, you're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. I dare you, I challenge you to show me where if you have faith, you're always going to be rich or never have any problems. I dare you to show that to me in the Bible. I challenge you. God is far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. God is far more interested in making you holy than he is making you happy. Because he knows holiness or the pursuit of holiness is what's going to lead towards true happiness. So God's not going to just give you whatever you ask for. Let me share a couple of truths about prayer. Number one, God hears and answers every prayer that's prayed. And truth number two, he doesn't always give you what you ask him for. I mean, sometimes when you pray, sometimes when I pray, God says, yeah. Sometimes when you pray, he says, no. Sometimes when you pray, he says, not yet. Sometimes when you pray, he says, I got a better idea. Guess what? All four of those responses are equally valid. Faith is trusting God even when I don't get the answer that I expected or wanted. Now, in chapter 11... Go to the last verses, 39 40. These, and he's talking about all these people in this list. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Did you get that? The Hall of Fame, these guys didn't get everything they asked for. It said God planned something better. You know that God's always got a better plan. I think most of you know. You know, living by faith does not exempt you from problems. Sometimes you pray to God and ask for a problem to disappear. And what does God do? He leaves you with the problem so you can build up a little bit of spiritual strength. God wants you to have character and strength and maturity, so he lets you keep going through this. You know, friends, anybody can trust God when things are going great. Anybody can give when they got extra money. Anybody can persist when they see the deadline just right around the corner. Anybody can believe when, when it's right out in front of them. But you know, I guess what I found in my life is that faith, real faith, is often built in the valleys of life. You know, isn't it fun to have mountaintop experiences? I mean, Easter Sunday is always like a mountaintop experience, but when I was ordained in the ministry, my son wrote a song for me. And I, I don't remember the title. Maybe it comes so much time I have him sing it for us. But it, it, it basically said, Dad, this is a mountaintop day, but don't forget real life has lived in the valley. See, it's in the valley where we grow stronger. Now, how do you get this stuff? Let me end up just by a couple of things. One of them is, is through his word. Romans ten seventeen says what? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. The more you get into this book, the more you're going to grow in your faith. I mean, if you don't ever read your Bible, if you only read your Bible sporadically, uh, 
you're not building a very strong wall. See, this is spiritual food for spiritual muscle. The B-I-B-L-E, some of you heard this before, basic instruction before leaving earth. You've got everything in here you need. The second way you build this life of faith is through the trials and tests of life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, These trials are only to test your faith, and your faith is far more precious to God than gold. It will bring you much praise and honor on the day of His return. God will use difficulties in your life. I know there are people in this church already who have difficult circumstances. I know that there are some people in this church today who are going through some real tough times. And some may even be thinking of bailing out, hanging it up. All I can say, friends, is hang on. That's what God says. Hang on. Because God always has a plan for those who love Him. God always has a purpose for those who love Him. And the best way to access that plan, very simply, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are in your faith walk today. Any more than you know where I'm at in my faith walk. But see, the starting place is what? It's when you believe that God exists. Isn't that what it says at the beginning of chapter 11? That you believe that there is a God. And that there's a God who loves you so much that He can't stand to live without you. He can't stand to have you on this other side of this Grand Canyon caused by your sin. And I don't care how fast you run, how athletic you are, you will never jump across the Grand Canyon of your sin. But I'll tell you, a lot of people try. And a lot of people crash and burn doing it. Their rituals, their rules, their regulations, their religion. That's where God comes in this world and He sends Jesus. And the cross does what? It bridges the great divide. And so what do you do? You believe and you receive. You walk across almost like the very arms of Jesus to get back over to God's side where you belong. That's God's plan. And His purpose is to have you with Him forever. Let's pray. Great and gracious Father in heaven, I just pray that you'd help us to be like Noah and Abraham and to obey you even when we don't understand and to be like a Moses and to trust you and persist even when we don't feel like it, to be like Abel and to give even when we don't have it, and to be like Joshua to thank you before we receive it, and to, just to trust in you. And, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we want you to become the manager of our lives and to teach us to live by faith in you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, who has brought us into your family. Amen.